Hello everyone, how are we doing? Welcome to the Incremental Gains podcast. Another book review today. Hope you had all a good weekend. So the book review that I'm going to be looking at today, and you all know I'm a fan of a good self-help book. Or shelf-help book, as I heard it called the other day. Shelf-help. It's a new genre of self-help books. Just people churn out these books that just appear on the shelves in um, Waterstones and other good bookstores. But yeah, shelf-help. So you all know I'm a fan of a good self-help book. And today I'm going to be looking at, specifically, The Gap and the Gain. Might appear in the top corner, one of them. You can see the production values going up now, can't you? <laughs> so, The Gap and the Gain by Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. This was just one of those books that I came across on the cuff. It was recommended because you read this, you may like this. So I'd never really heard of it before. Obviously, I've heard of Dan Sullivan. Um, one, of the most, one of the more famous um, mindset coaches in the world, in the world today. Um, it's actually a fantastic book. And I'd never really heard of it before, but it is a fantastic book, and it kind of it kind of encompasses everything that I've learned from stoicism, that I've learned from working with Paul Mort over the last eighteen months, that I've learned from reading various other books. And it comes down to the simple fact, if I had to if I had to summarize this book in almost a paragraph or a sentence, it will come down to this. If you're comparing yourself to other people, then you are essentially in the gap. But if you compare yourself to where you came from and where you started and appreciate the things that you've done on the way, then you're in the the gain, and that is the best place to be. For health, for wealth, for success, for mindset, for mental health, for relationships. Everything is about being in the gain and not being in the gap. So let's get into it. One of the, so the book starts out by talking about why we actually do this thing, why we compare ourselves to other people, why we're in the gap and not in the gain. <coughs> and it's a term called hedonic adaptation. Now, hedonic adaptation kind of answers a few questions for me. Why are we never satisfied? Why? You maybe buy some, on a surface level, you buy some clothes and you think, yeah, I've got some new clobber now. And then maybe they either turn up and you unpack them and you're like, mm, that was a bit underwhelming. Or you wear them a few times and you're like, mm, I need something new now. Or you get a new car. So, 
And we're back. Again, sorry, it's my fault. That's preparation, though. Should really have spare batteries. So anyway. Hedonic adaptation. So when you get a car and you may drive around in that car for a little bit. And then the novelty soon wears off. That's, that's the phrase that we'll use. The novelty soon wears off. Some people may even find that they have a habit of this with um, partners. You may get a new partner, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend. And before long, the novelty wears off. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe you're wondering why that is. The answer is a hedonic adaptation. And it's a tendency of humans to quickly adapt to where they are and what they've got. It leads to never being satisfied. So then we get into what the gain is. The gain is about measurables, not ideals. So anytime that we compare ourselves to an ideal of maybe where we want to be or where somebody else is and we're not, that's an ideal. A nice little touch. Um, he quotes a guy called Tim Grover who used to be Michael Jordan's basketball uh, not coach, but strength and conditioning coach. Winners don't have a to-do list. Winners have a done list. And that's just the flip of the mindset in it. So instead of having loads of things that we need to do and we get up in the morning and we've got a to-do list, having a done list. So rather than in the gap, that's being in the gap, thinking about things that we've not done yet to the ideal, being in the gain is things that we've done. Another thing that the book talks about is this idea of Measuring backwards. Planning forwards and measuring backwards. And that's something that we've discussed in the last 18 months with um, my mentor and coach Paul Morty. He's a big fan. And maybe he's got it from this. Uh, Dan Sullivan is also the, the creator of Strategic Coach. Um and maybe it's it's influenced by that. But I definitely found a lot of parallels in the stuff that I've read over the last 12 months and that we've discussed, all compact and succinctly described in this book. So I would say this book is kind of essential reading, really. And I know that's a big, big thing to say, but I would. I would highly recommend this book. So Hedonic Adaptation and... You're never satisfied. You're always trying to create the ideal or move towards things that you haven't got and not appreciating things that you have. And as a little side note, that's one thing that I've been thinking and spending a lot of time recently thinking about, and it's it's quite it's a bit of a taboo subject to talk about, but about money and finances and wealth, <laughs> and particularly particularly particularly. Specifically, I've been reading a lot of stuff and listening to a lot of stuff by Rob Moore, who's uh, quite prolific on Instagram. And he, one thing he spoke about is once you can understand and once you appreciate what you've got and once you have enough, 
then the whole idea is living below your means. So the reason why we're on this hedonic adaptation and we're all on the hedonic treadmill is because we always want more. We're never happy with what we've got. Whereas if you can get your head around and be grateful and understand that what you've got is enough and be happy with what you've got is enough. Be happy with yourself. You are enough. A lot of people's fears and the reason why they don't attempt new things is because fear of failure and the fear that they're not enough. The fear that they'll never be enough, that they'll never achieve what they want to achieve. So this having enough and being content with who you are, what you've got, is essentially living below your means. So any money that you earn above that, not letting it burn a hole in your pocket, that's when you can start to create wealth. Wealth has a different definition to everybody. Wealth is maybe having freedom, having savings, to buy what you want when you want it, but then if you're already happy with what you've got and you've got enough, then, you, yeah, it's a difficult conversation to have. I'm still trying to get my head around it, but there's something there where we're starting to buy into, like, commercialism and why do we buy the things that we've got? Why have we bought them? To make ourselves feel good. But if we already feel good and we, we're happy with what we've got and where we are, then that's how we can start to create wealth. Anyway, off topic slightly, but it's an interesting subject. Something I'm definitely going to be reading more, more and more of. To to kind of summarise what I was just saying there about wealth, that's kind of the f we have these. Um, and I'm by no means, don't get me wrong, I'm by no means comparing myself as welfare. But what Rob Moore's saying is there's there's a few different levels to get to. So the first level would be living below your means, getting out of debt so you can start to save. And then savings is the next rung on the ladder where you've got disposable income. You can start to save money. And then after saving, then you can start to invest money. And invest seems like a daunting, daunting prospect but investing just could mean like a an ISA in a bank not West Bank do it putting so much money a month they invest it for you so you don't have to have any real kind of knowledge on like the stock markets and all that kind of bollocks you've seen a big rise in everyday thought like me and you investing in crypto and then to buy things that you want, you buy it with the money that y your money made and not the money that you, you've got, if that makes sense. Anyway, completely off topic. Let's get back to the book. <laughs> there's a good example <coughs> so to get out of this constant hedonic off the hedonic treadmill and asking yourself about 
with every decision, instead of comparing yourself to other people, um, comparing you, yourself to where you were yesterday, and there's a there's a good um, example of where, with every decision or opportunity, every member of the team asked themselves, will it make the boat go faster? And that's an example from the rowing team. Instead of comparing themselves to other rowing teams in the Olympics and what they were doing, everything they set out to do, they looked at themselves and they asked the question, will this activity, will this decision, will this new protocol help make the boat go faster? If it doesn't, then it's out. So when we look at where we want to be and what we want to achieve, looking at setting our goals, if what you are doing isn't making the boat go faster, get rid of it. So that's when you when you are like starting to create these goals and set these ideals, not using other people as the benchmark. Will it make my boat go faster? No, get rid. If it will, we keep it in. And that was a specific example. That was a specific example from the uh, rowing Olympic rowing team, Great British Olympic rowing team. Language is very powerful. Language does not just describe reality. Language creates the reality it describes. This was just a chapter break. Between chapters, the book has quotes. Um, from inspirational people throughout the world. And this one is from Desmond Tutu. And I'll say it again. Language is very powerful. Language does not just describe reality. Language creates the reality it describes. And I think specifically it talks about when we when we look at being in the gap and comparing our soul, comparing ourselves to other people. The language that we use creates the reality that we live in. So as a basic example, if we're constantly using negative language then by default, we're going to create a negative environment. We're going to create a negative reality. Like your brain will always look for evidence to justify its current state that it's in. So if you're in a proper fuzzy state and maybe you're hungover, maybe you went out on the weekend and you had a proper skinful and you're hungover, you feel like shit. Your brain is going to justify or look for evidence to support its current state. So when you're in a state of, you just feel like shit, you feel horrible, your brain's going to start to justify reasons why you're in that state. So then you might start comparing yourself, well, I've not got what they've got. Um, I had a shit week last week. Um, my job's stressful, so I had a blowout on the weekend. So flip that on its head. When you're using positive language, and using like affirmations and constructive language and your state's on point, your brain's going to look for evidence to support your current state. So your brain will look to see what you've achieved, where you started, rather than looking where you want to be 
And again, comparing yourself to other people, falling in the gap. You'll remain in the game. And appreciating where you came from, understanding where you started, and how hard you had to work, and what you've achieved so far. So language is very powerful. It doesn't just describe reality, it creates the reality that it describes. Massive. That was awesome. Steve Jobs saying the same thing. You cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. Maybe your life took a, a kind of different path and you wonder why certain things have happened. Uh, from a personal example, the last few years of my life spent down in Reading in the MOD police. We're under a little bit of a cloud. Certain things were happening that I wasn't happy about. I made the decision to leave. Move back up north. And you kind of think, was that the right decision? And it's only from where I am now in the gain, not in the gap. It's only from where I am now, looking backwards, I can connect those dots. Maybe those things were meant to happen. That's why this happened. To, for me to be where I am today. And that's why I wouldn't necessarily change anything that's happened because I am happy with everything that I've got already. I'm happy with who I am. Yes, I've got things to achieve and that I want to go on to achieve, but I'm not stuck in the gap. I'm happy with everything that I've got, everything that I've achieved so far, where I started. So then I wouldn't necessarily want to change anything that's happened already because that might put me in a different place. So you cannot connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect them looking backwards. There's a bit of an Ed Wrecker. It is more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than it is to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. Going off that previous example, the present causes the meaning it gives everything that's happened previously in my life meaning because it got me to where I am today and what I've achieved and who I am as a person. <laughs> the fundamental shift in this book is that fact, looking at what you've achieved so far. So look at your team, your current capability, your goals, your lifestyle, your health and everything else going on in your life. Isn't it amazing? Everything you're doing and everything you've created, this shift is fundamental to being in the gain and not in the gap. Spencer Johnson explains that the good things in people's lives happen because of what they do during the valleys. Whereas bad things in people's lives happen because of what they're doing during their peaks. So everyone has peaks and valleys in their life, ups and downs, smiles and frowns.
and the good things that happen to people, and I'm slowly starting to believe this as one of the fucking universal truths. The good things that happen in people's lives happen because of what they do during the valleys, during the low points, when they're at the lowest. The bad things in people's lives happen because of what they do during their peaks. So when you're comfortable, when you're comfortable, that's when you start to relax. That's when you start to become a little bit soft. Maybe you're indulging too many nights out. Maybe you're indulging too much, um, spending too much money. Anything that I've ever achieved in my life, in hindsight, has come from times when I've been quite low. But I've had the psychological flexibility to be able to manage those emotions and not let them manage me. And that just comes through years of immersing myself in um, positive influences, whether that's podcasts, reading books, to create this kind of narrative in my head about managing emotions, about dealing with adversity, about controlling what you can control, how to deal with stress. It's not something that's happened overnight. It's something that's took over 10 years And at arguably the lowest point in my life, leaving the MOD police. Because of the reasons surrounding why I left. I started to create things and I can see that now through the mindset that I'd, that I'd accumulated before that. Started to put things in place and achieve things that have led me and got me to where I am today. So that Steve Jobs quote is fucking priceless for me. You could only connect the dots going backwards. At the time, yeah, it feels like shit. At the time, it's the worst time of your life. But connecting those dots, you can only do that going backwards. Something I've spoke about before, what they talk about in the book is Nassim Taleb, phrase anti-fragile, and I've spoke about it before, so I won't go into too much detail about it, but again, that's another thing that I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've read about that. Fuck yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, that's what he was discussing that time. It kind of, kind of like, it's almost like this book has come at the time and it's just there to consolidate everything that I've kind of took to be useful from every other influence that I've used before. And this book has condensed it into digestible chapters So you can refer to it over and over again. I mean, it may have worked the other way. The people who I've listened to previously to reading this book may have been doing strategic culture or may have read Dan Sullivan's work and regurgitated that in their own voice. So maybe if I'd have just cottoned on to Dan Sullivan earlier, I wouldn't have gone on this on this journey of reading so many other books, listening to podcasts, getting involved in a um, coaching program. But it's kind of a, it's weird how when I spoke to the need to read guy, and we spoke about sometimes books appear into your life at the right time. 
And I feel like this that's what happened with this. So anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resists shocks and stays the same. The anti-fragile gets better. If you're measuring in such a way that every day you have an increasing sense of either winning or learning, never losing makes you anti-fragile. I'm a big fan of looking for signs and I think I'm intuitive enough to look for signs. I'm open enough to read signs from, and it sounds a bit wishy-washy, but from the universe. And I've often said that if I come across the same piece of information or the same influence more than three times, then that's a, I take that as a sign that I need to investigate this further. We went watching Aunt Middleton on the weekend on Friday night in Blackpool, Winter Gardens, me and Laura. And it was really, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Aunt Middleton speaks a lot about positive mindset. One thing that I got from it, though, that I'd never really heard before, but it's just regurgitating information that I have heard before, but putting a different spin on it, so you may understand it better from a certain person who's put their spin on it. That's why I'm, I'm a big fan of reading the same material almost. Like So these self-help books, Laura goes mad because I'll, I'll continue to read self-help books. And it, it, there's only so many topics they can discuss, but a different author will put a different spin on it. And that spin might, might resonate with you better than someone else's spin. So Aunt Middleton talks about any experiences that he puts himself forward for in life. He's collecting, trying to collect percentages. So whether that experience could be perceived as losing or as failure, but again, we don't do failure, we do winning or learning. Any perceived failure is just, I'm just collecting percentages. Collecting percentages. So I might be involved in a project, and after two weeks, I either bin it or it bins me. But that two weeks worth, I've collected percentages. Percentages of an experience that make me a better person, maybe a better version of myself, and I can use them percentages in other situations. So I'm always gaining something from a, from a situation, from an, an experience. And he spoke about peeling those layers off, making a commitment, peeling a few layers off. You get to the point you think, ah, oh, it's not for me, or maybe it isn't going the way it's supposed to go. Not being in the gap and thinking, well, fuck, I'm not where I want it to be. That's a failure. Being in the game, thinking the percentages you've collected and the layers you've peeled off, they're going to add to your resilience. They're going to add to your, your game. They're going to add to your ability to give something more and you're improving on yourself of yesterday. So that was an interesting perspective from Matt Middleton's point of view. And that's what I got from Matt Middleton on Friday. That was the biggest takeaway for me. But it's just regurgitating stuff that I'm talking about now, stuff that I've read, but a different spin. That'll stick with me now. And Ernest Hemingway puts it beautifully. There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man, i.e. being in the gap. True nobility is being superior to your former self. How you see everything, how you see anything, is how you see everything. 
you train your brain what to see. So this goes back to what I said before about your brain will look for evidence to support its current state. The more you measure gains, the more you'll see gains. Shameless plug, incremental gains. The more you measure gains, the more you'll see gains. The more you see gains, the more gains you'll create. The more gains you create, the happier and freer you'll be. Not being in the gap. So flip that on its head. You train your brain what to see. The more you're, the more you're in the gap, the more gap you'll see. The more gap you see, the more gaps you'll create. The more people you'll be comparing yourself to. The more things you'll want to achieve that you're not achieving. The more gaps you create, the less happier and the more trapped you'll free, you'll feel. This, for me, is essential reading. The gap and the gain. It really introduces everything that I've read, I've listened to in one in one book. It really is that good. Probably take you a week to read it. Dead easy read. The Gap and the Gain. I can't recommend this book highly enough. Please go out and buy it. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please let me know what you think about this review. The Gap and the Gain, Dan Sullivan. Go and get it. Available where you buy books. See you next time. Take care.